Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing, der Bundesliga-Podcast. I'm Manu Veth. He's Stefan Bienkowski, and we are also joined by Matt Ford. Matt, um, first of all, great to have you back. Um, coming quite a regular on the show. How are you doing? I am very good, thank you. Yeah, uh, survived a couple of days at Oktoberfest, and now oh. back in the back in the safety of the of the Rhineland, where no one's wearing silly, uh, silly, silly outfits. Not yet. Anyway. You're not Can't. silly, Matt. <laughs> you know, you know where I'm from. <laughs> <laughs> That's like telling Stefan uh, a traditional Scottish outfit is silly. Oh, it is uh, silly. Of course it's silly. No, but... it's not. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I wore a kilt to my wedding and I felt like a fool the whole day. So I know what it's like. Just on the topic of Oktoberfest, though, I was also, funnily enough, drinking Oktoberfest beer the weekend because um, there's a big pub in Glasgow called the Bavarian Beer House, which, as you would expect, uh, sells Munich beer. Interestingly enough, I have a friend who works there and he was telling me that they actually have just about every Munich beer on tap. Um, and he was telling me how unique that is because, obviously, in Germany, you yeah. can't really have Augustina with... Love and Brow or something like that, but they have just about all of them on tap. And he was saying it's one of the most unique places in Europe for. Him. But anyway, I had two or three what we call in the UK steins, which I have no idea where that came from. I don't know if you know Matt where that expression I'll, came I'll look, from. I was looking into it. Um, I believe one theory is that um, obviously one one word for like an old um, sort of stone or porcelain bake-up would be a steinkrug, as in okay. a stone cup. Yeah, um, yeah. So maybe that's been weirdly shortened into Stein, but obviously Stein in German means means stone. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there you go. There's there's a theory for you. There and Matt is right. That's where it's from. Okay, there you go. Enough. Nailed it. Nailed well, it. I had, I, well I had done. Two, I had two Steins of one of Polner and one of Lovenbrow. Thinking in this in typical kind of Oktoberfest fashion, it was the Oktoberfest versions which are stronger. And they yeah, had two. I can, I, can, I can confirm that as well. Yeah, yeah, they are they are stronger. Uh, for anyone who, for all the foreigners, like we don't we don't feel the difference because we have like an automatic beer level in our bloodstream. Well, I I had two of those <laughs> and then started feeling a little woozy, so I, f I fell back onto a bottle of Rothaus, which you can never go wrong with. Um, also a great shout. Yeah, yeah. and then it's true. but then I got it. I got a treat home with my wife, and she was laughing at how drunk I was the whole way home. So it hit me hard. And uh, so. I have two Oktoberfest-related stories. There's actually a um, beer garden in the Victorian Markt, which you probably know, Stefan, that um, they rotate the different taps. Um, so every brewery gets like a turn at this beer garden to serve their beer. And you, when so you, when you arrive, you get like a sign because like there is like this um, this unification is Münchner Biere, so the Munich beers, right? They have like this kind of alliance. Um, so that's the only other place I can think of where they can do this. Um, because like, yeah, other than that, it's like pretty much unknown to serve all beers. And then even then they don't do it at the same time, right? They rotate it. It's a rotating tap. Um, but yeah, that's the only thing. But uh, yeah, I had a huge FOMO for Oktoberfest this weekend. So I made, uh, an Oktoberfest chicken. Um, cause. Oh, was, it wearing, was, it, was it wearing a ladle or was it? No. Oh, it was not. That would be gross. <laughs> what's what's an Oktoberfest chicken? You have to explain so, this to us. So yeah, so you basically, you know how like they get it like perfectly tender, even though you know um, there's like the the chicken just falls off the bone. So I mm. looked up a few years ago how to make. It actually was during COVID when I was really missing Oktoberfest, and um, you pre-boil it in a bunch of spices, and then you throw it in the oven at a really high temperature for just fifteen minutes. And that's how they get it so tender. Oh well, now I'm hungry. Yeah. 
Anyway, Stefan, I think before we go to the ad, uh, you have something to announce. I think we should probably go to the ad first and then I'll announce it afterwards. <laughs> this episode of the Gegen Pressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Football is back, and Bet Online is your number one information source for all sports wagering info with all the up to minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with Bet Online's real time updates on statistics, news, and odds. From week one all the way to college football playoff and Super Bowl, Bet Online gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to the website today or use our mobile use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code Believe. That is B-L-E-A-V Believe to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Alright, we got that out of the way. Stefan, you have something to announce. Far more interesting than American football, I think. <laughs> yeah, um, too much time spent talking about cooked chicken there. Um, yeah, but my fault. Uh, yeah, just to say for anyone who doesn't, um, you know, follows on Substack, to let you know that we are now launching a free newsletter uh, alongside the paid ones that we do. Uh, it'll be coming out every Monday. It's called the Monday Bulletin, and it will be. It's a much shorter version of the typical newsletters we do, uh, and it's just kind of something that we thought would be a good idea to kind of offer some kind of fun, fast bullet points, um, kind of hot takes, if you will, on the Bundesliga match day. And we're kind of hoping there'll be a place that people can kind of jump in on a Monday morning, see what we were talking about, give their thoughts in the comments below, and just continue to offer a place for Bundesliga fans to kind of chat about things, which, you know, our subscribers already do so well in the forum. Um, and God knows how many messages we had this weekend in the match mm. day thread. It was into the hundreds by far. But uh, yeah, so if you're interested, if you can't really, if you can't sign up for the paid version, uh, that's absolutely fine. You can sign up for free, and it'll pop in your inbox every Monday morning. Nice, more content. That's awesome. Um, looking forward to this. I think we're both still kind of hammering out the finer details of what this is going to look like, and I think. We haven't really set it in stone, and it, it's probably not going to be set in stone forever anyways, right? This might change and be a little bit more fluid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's nothing set in stone at all. We'll kind of just go go with the flow and see what people like, what they don't like, and then take it from there. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's not going to be a long-winded thing. It's just hopefully something ni- nice and easy that people can read on the train to work or something on a Monday yeah. morning. And then, yeah. And yeah. Yeah, it should be fun. Um Fun. Speaking of fun, guys, who had VfB Stuttgart this high in the standings? Third, one point behind Bayern and Leverkusen on match day five. Raise your hands. Virtually raise your hands. Matt, Stefan, did you <laughs> did you have this on your on your bingo card? Um, and sure. adding to no. that, did, did you have it on your bingo card that Serhu Rassi would be scoring ten goals in five games? Not gonna, not gonna claim that um, I absolutely, absolutely saw it coming or predicted it in the fashion that it's come about. But um, yeah. I'm pretty sure I did say it somewhere just after the the relegation playoffs um, yeah. um, last year. I thought, well, Stuttgart effectively wasted three or four months last season um, under Bruno Labbadia, yeah. Um, and yeah, now we're finally seeing the full effect of uh, what Sebastian Hernes has been has managed to do with. Um, with a full three season behind him, um, okay, n- not sure would have predicted them scoring seventeen goals in five games and certainly Gavasti scoring ten of them, um, including some absolute uh, absolute scorchers that he scored that he scored this weekend, um, but I, I, de- I definitely didn't see Stuttgart anywhere near the relegation battle and probably yeah. not bottom half, and then if you combine that with the added European commitments to the likes of Frankfurt and Union and Freiburg have this season um, and then add to that again the, the, the problems that Dortmund are having then it actually adds up to quite a logical conclusion that they that they are where they are and fair play mm. to them, they're great to watch Yeah, You're, I had them yeah. on my maybe top six list, <laughs> Stefan Yeah, I think you did, yeah and I mean, it, as you both have said like anyone who obviously watched the second half of the Bundesliga last year uh, as Stuttgart kind of began to, you know, transition before our very eyes on the Honers, then um, 
it was clear that they were going to pick up some big scalps this year. The manner in which they won that playoff, which we've talked about a few times now, was just mm-hmm. men against boys. Um, and it actually sparked a big debate, I think, we all had in terms of the actual fairness of the system of the playoffs because it can lead to like one of these Bundesliga teams really kind of getting their, ho- their house in order and, and, and uh, having some sort of advantage over the team they're hoping to get promoted. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean... There was so, I did have some concerns over the players that they would sell, um, but I mean, there's no doubt that Stuttgart just already had more than enough players to kind of fill in, and I think that's kind of been the key thing. If you kind of look at that front three, yeah, Gursi's kind of been the one who has stole the headlines. He's the one who's got the goals. Um, I mean, his goals have been outstanding, but I think, I mean, if I'm, I think it was his first goal uh, at the weekend where he just kind of hammers at home from the edge of the box. Um, I think that's a good indication of what kind of form we're talking about here. Just about everything he hits has gone in so far. And, yeah. you know, I'm not trying to downplay his performances or, 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 or try to predict his downfall, but obviously the nature of a league season means that that will obviously come down to... he will, That will fall slightly uh, going forward. I mean, I think his XG is, is by far... I think his XG is only maybe like three or four right now. Um, combined XG, that is, so... But what really intrigues me, and this was definitely clear in, in, in the game of the weekend, was that he proved, not only he's a great goal scorer, he's also such a good target man. He's such great presence yeah. in the box. That first goal uh, that Stuttgart scored was basically him playing his back to goal like, with his like standing on the six-yard line and just having the presence to completely hold off the defender and, and set the ball up. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, Hodes has obviously worked very hard over the summer. There was some concern of whether he'd actually stay at the club. Uh, I think he was heavily linked with the move to the Premier League, but they've obviously managed to do a lot to convince him to stay. And as a, as a result, Stuttgart have had a degree of um, stability, at least in the forward line. I mean, obviously they lost quite a lot of players in defence. They lost Enzo mm. as well in the middle of the park. Not Enzo, sorry, but um, midfielder. Um, and... It means that they've actually been able to, while the defence is maybe still not quite top six standard, in my opinion, the way that they were able to really pin Darmstadt back in that game, um, I just found I just found it really fascinating. It fit, they, 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 they looked like a top six side. Um, and I think the only thing else I'd really add to that is that if I was a Stuttgart fan, I'd begin to wonder whether this is all pinned on Giresi's goal scoring. All I would say is that one stat that I found really interesting is when I was looking at which players have completed the most dribbles so far this season, there's actually three Stuttgart players in the top 15. There's Enzo Milo, um, there's Chris Furek, who I thought was outstanding at the weekend, and of course Silas as well, who looks like he's kind of second lease of life at Stuttgart after some difficult kind of seasons, obviously, with the manner in which uh, the troubles with his agent and such. So... They're, they are much more than just gear seed. They're not a one-man team. They're not just one team with this big target man who they lump the ball up to. It's a really well-connected and well-built system, um, mm-hmm. which which goes all the way back to, uh, you know, the, the fullbacks at times. I was absolutely amazed at just how much space guys like Stencil managed to get and Ito managed to get as well it, 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 on each on each uh, flank against Darmstadt, and it was just a very complete performance. Um, I could talk mm. about it for about half an hour, but I'll I'll take a breath and let someone else jump in here. I, before I give it over to Matt, I want to talk a bit about Girassi because I did write about him um, on Friday evening after the game. And um, you're right, Stefan, his, his shot of Bundesliga.com causes shot efficiency, which is essentially how many more goals he has scored than his XG. And they have his XG is 5.3. Um, you know, XG ratings are different depending on what you use. They use AWS, of course, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they have him as 4.7 over his XG, um, you yeah. know, which is fair enough. We all know that is going to regress to whatever the means are. Um, I mean, right now, the only other Bundesliga striker in history that has scored that many goals to start the season is a certain Robert Lewandowski, and he ended up breaking the Bundesliga goal-scoring record that year. I, I think... Um, I think it's pretty realistic to say that that's not going to happen, <laughs> right? Um, but you know, there's a few other numbers that um can be both optimistic or concerning, depending on how you see it. Um, he's been in, he's been directly involved in 65 percent of Stuttgart's goals this year, 
And um, I think that is also a really, really high number. But then Stuttgart themselves, Sebastian Hoene spoke after the match and, and pointed out how important he is and underlining some of the things that you have said, um, not just in his goal scoring, but um, in the counter-pressing, the way he moves, right, the may, way he creates space. Christian Führich is another player who really stood out, has stood out um, early on the season. Milot, you already mentioned, right? So I think, yes, he scores a lot of goals um, and he they're running the, a hot striker, um, which is, I think... When you have one, you need to do it, right? And so I think these are just some really interesting numbers here. And I guess, Matt, that is really the question. And we've kind of already alluded to it. I, I had them as a maybe top six team, but where is this going to end? I mean, still got have a great deal of potential. Um, I'm actually interested in listening to Stefan ticking off all the bullet points that I've written down. So I don't know if you've got like a, cam- like a camera in my flap, Stefan. I mean, um, yeah, not 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 too much more to add. Um, one bit I would have actually would be um, Angelo Stiller in midfield, who's actually surprised me. Um, although maybe when you consider his uh, his background coming through Bayern Munich's academy, perhaps uh, perhaps less surprising the way that he's uh, slotted into that that role vacated by uh, by by Enzo in in centre mid. Um, yeah, be, be, uh, really impressive. Um, as I said, Stuttgart has a club of massive potential. Um, they certainly see themselves that way. Um, they certainly see the, the couple of years they've spent down in Division Two as a bit of a bit of an abomination, and admittedly they've not helped themselves um, at Audley level. I think we discussed this briefly last season, didn't we, about um, some of the various comings and goings and political intrigues uh, surrounding Crawfish Guards. But um, they seem, at least for the time being, to be uh, on a on a more upward trajectory um Sebastian Hearn has been given the time and the space and the the backing to to establish a clear, a clear plan on the pitch while off it um and you can see from what from the from the camera footage at games they're they're revamping the um the Mercedes bonds um arena um and uh yeah speaking of Mercedes there's also a bit of a revamp there they're bringing on they're bringing on Porsche as well um, there's been a sale of shares to, to them as well, so that's you know, getting even more uh, economic backing in from, from the surrounding area, which he wants the most economic powerful in, in Germany. Um, so Stuttgart, you know, we've made this point several times, Stuttgart can can begin to harness that as a club um, in the way that Bayern Munich do so well, although admittedly on a, in a different stratosphere. Uh, but in ways that the likes of Hamburg and Cologne and, and others don't, um, then there really is huge potential for um, for Bayern uh, for This is a really important point, Matt, and I want to hammer this home because um, I spoke to quite a few people at Stuttgart about this, and they have brought Porsche on board as well, right? I think it's one of the few clubs in Germany that has not one but two car makers. I, I know that's not true. Bayern has BMW and Audi. Um, obviously BMW sponsoring the, the basketball team, but still they have both, right? Um, but I think that is a really important point that you make here because it's you have two massive car manufacturers now on board. Stuttgart is an economic area. There is so much economic power there, which is probably only rivaled by Bavaria or, or what's going in and around Munich, right? And I think one of the people that I spoke to um, last November when I was with them in the United States, that's one of the things that they they pointed out. It's like, we haven't done enough to harness that economic power and get these sponsors on board and make Stuttgart not only a big team in Germany, but also take them abroad and say, look, here's we, we can go to US and there is Mercedes plants all over the place and we haven't done enough of that. And I think they finally it's finally feels like they're kind of realizing that what they're sitting on. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, they 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 of course run the risk that the more people you bring in, the more power you give to investors, sponsors, uh, the more you kind of open yourself up to outside influences, which aren't as positive. And precisely that happened to Stuttgart a few years ago when they seems to be on the similarly trajectory under that uh, that that triumvirate of um, Pellegrino, Matarazzo as coach, then Mislin Tata, sporting director, and Thomas Hitzensperger as um, as as CEO um, of the of the football organization. Um, added to that, a very popular club president in Klaus Vogt. Um, 
that ended up completely imploding. Um, the precise reasons for which are still still aren't completely clear. Uh, but what uh, what um, what what we do know is that it, it culminated in Thomas Hitzelsberger uh, attempting to become club president and uh, company CEO um, in in one, um, which is um, obviously not uh, what well, it's, it's a lack of separation of powers in the club, which obviously went down very badly with the um, with the supporters, regardless of uh, Thomas Hitzelsberger's um, yeah sort of hero status around Stuttgart. Massive shame for all involved. Um, and again, what 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 actually, yeah, convinced or encouraged Hitzelsberger to go to to go along with that and go go down that route is is like I said, probably the aspect which is which is still unclear as to what exactly was at work there. Uh, but they certainly imploded. Uh, so it's um yeah, it's it's good to see them recovering from that. Um, I believe they're still without a a sporting director, aren't they? Technically, um, well, the former sporting director just got fired. <laughs> I was going to say they're probably they're, they're probably quite happy to have ended that particular partnership. Uh, although, yeah, I mean, even at Stuttgart and, and beforehand at Dortmund, Fred Mislintat was absolutely known as a as a tricky character to work with. Although he yeah. generally delivered results, um, yeah, um, probably probably not the time or place to go into exactly what's gone wrong at Ajax, uh, but it's uh, certainly hit the fan, hasn't it? Yeah, I think. The only thing I'd really add to that, and you guys did a really good job of kind of talking about the macroeconomics around the club, is that, you know, I think Bundesliga fans of a certain vintage will think of Stuttgart as one of Germany's biggest clubs. You know, they've obviously won the title, they challenged for it a few years as well in the kind of, what, late noughties, um, late night or early nineties. You know, talking about sponsors, I always feel like that Mercedes badge is just synonymous with the Stuttgart badge almost, you know, when you can uh-huh. argue whether that's a good thing or a bad thing in terms of, you know, but, capitalism and, and sorry to interject, in but both Mercedes and Porsche, because isn't some of the Stuttgart badge also synonymous with the Porsche badge? Like, uh, I think there's certain elements that are the same. I've, I wasn't, I, I didn't really mean the badge itself. I yeah. mean, when I think of like old Stuttgart tops, I always think of that kind of Mercedes badge on it. Um, right. I might, I might be wrong. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm confusing that with more newer versions in my head, but, my point is that, you know, we always talk about, you know, people always ask, why is the Bundesliga only got one title challenger? And, you know, I think people abroad often think, oh, was it because Bayern just buy all the best players? And then you, people like us, have to go into this convoluted explanation as to why it's probably more down to the fact that the clubs that should be challenging them um, have done their best to trip over their own feet over the last 10 or 15 years and I put Stuttgart in that bracket alongside Schalke and alongside Borussia Dortmund um, to I guess to a lesser extent but still certainly there and you know I think all things considered if Stuttgart's run properly I think they are a top four or a top six club to be perfectly honest with you and I, and, I, and that's what makes this moment so interesting because you could maybe draw some parallels to, to Borussia Dortmund under Jurgen Klopp, which I know is a very lofty comparison, but just bear with me for a moment in the sense that obviously Klopp came in at a time when Dortmund had just kind of got back on their feet after basically financial annihilation. Uh, and he managed to take this kind of mid-table club and kind of raise them above their stature. And everyone got galvanized by this very impressive head coach who came out of nowhere. And, you know, it's still very early days for Spash and Hones, obviously. Um, and I know this comparison to Klopp's not doing him any favours, but it'd be really interesting to see if, if, if Stuttgart can be galvanised and kind of work everything around what Hones wants to do with the club. Because he's obviously a very talented head coach. Uh, I think he's gone... I think he's probably one of the few German coaches of his kind of class and age, actually, who actually might be worth the, the buzz. Um and if you kind of look at that Stuttgart team, it's not really a side anymore that's full of exciting young players that will be picked off in the next two or three years. You know, Giresse is, what, 28, 29, I think. Uh, most of the forward players around him are in their mid-20s. It's not, you know, these are all kind of just impressive Bundesliga players who perhaps haven't quite fulfilled their, their entire potential and maybe something that Hone is going to lock. And therefore, you, we might find ourselves with a Stuttgart team that actually might be able to stick together for at least a season or two, which... Seems like a novel idea in the Bundesliga these days, and if so, and if Hones continues to do what he's doing, then you know we might see a team that does kind of really start punching above its weight, and you know you never really know where that could go. Just on that note, with Sebastian Hernes, one 
one aspect of his development which I'd be quite interested to see would be the extent to which he can maybe really begin to connect with Stuttgart as a club and really sort of start to engage with the with those unquantifiables, you know, the, the emotions and the, the, the power of that fan base around the club. Uh, so it often seems with a lot of German coaches to be either, either one or the other. Um, either they fall into the bracket of, um, yeah, what was, I think, what was in the past been disparagingly referred to as, like, you know, sort of nerdy, ta- nerdy tactical laptop coaches or whatever the phrase was. Um, and, and those coaches who, um, who really seem to... Sus- tend to thrive off the off the atmosphere and the, and the emotion but actually have little more to offer um Jurgen Klopp being one of the few who, who really bridged that gap as you know being you know, uh, tactically and uh and and technically obviously the top of his game but also with the um yeah with the with the emotional connection to to a couple like Borussia Dortmund um Sebastian Hearn is so far you know he's he's come through a um obviously he his first major job was in charge of Hoffenheim, I think, wasn't it? Um, again, not a club particularly known for having a particularly emotional, um, emotional environment. Uh, Stuttgart is on the other end of the scale, so it's all about getting that balance right. Um, and yeah, I, I, as far as I'm concerned, I really, really hope that they do, um, and I really hope that those two elements of the club, or the three elements of the club, I suppose, the you know, the, 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 the the powerful economic capitalist side of Alf Stuttgart. In, in Baden-Württemberg, um, the emotional fan base, on the other hand, and and, and thirdly, the, the the technical prowess brought by brought by Sebastian Hernes, uh, if they can get those to be working in tandem, um, yeah, there's there really is massive potential, particularly in the season, like I said before, when when other other top teams are either are weakened, either either through faults of their own, perhaps in the case of Borussia Dortmund. Uh, or dealing with uh, energy sapping European campaigns. I think the the fact that it's the name, isn't it? Furness, um football royalty. He is the, the son of uh, Dieter Hoeneß, Uli Hoeneß's brother, right? Um, Dieter Hoeneß, of course, played for VfB Stuttgart and was um, what we back then called the manager of VfB Stuttgart in the early 90s. Um, we would now call that a sporting director, I guess. But um, I think that carries a lot of weight. And I think that helps someone like Hernes. You know, some people get hindered by that. They like, it is almost like a weight on their shoulders that they have a name like that, right? But um, what, what fascinates me about Sebastian Hernes is that he kind of developed his career from the ground up, right? Of course, he worked at Bayern Munich, but we have to remember too, he was at the Hertha setup before that, right? Working there um, with Zehlendorf. Then he was in the, the Leipzig setup for quite some time as well as a youth youth coach and a manager of the, the, the academy. And then, of course, he went to Bayern Munich to work at the campus there. This is this is a guy who, who carries a big name. And I think that is, Matt, where I think the supporters maybe are able to he can kind of bridge the gap from the supporters to to the bosses because it's different when a harness shows up to the bosses, right? And it's also different when you can say, "Well, my dad already played for the club." Yeah, that is interesting. Although, almost, maybe it's just a it's a matter of perspective. But I mean, obviously, I mean, mm-hmm. everyone's aware of Hernes's family <clears throat> family links, but just purely personally, I'm. Um, I've watching Sebastian Hill. I've actually never ever associated him with his um, with his, um, his, yeah. his father or indeed his uncle. If I'm if I'm getting that right, um, so yeah. and I think that's all. I think that's all credit to him. I think he's very much established his own reputation uh, to the extent where, yeah, purely personally, I, mm-hmm. I've actually never never really made that direct connection. I think that's a good thing. No, but that's but that's exactly that's actually underlines my point, isn't it? That what I mean is like that he hasn't made it by himself, but. You can still go to the bosses of the club and say, you know, there is. I think there is more of a respect there, and at the same time, he seems to have done it the right way. Silence. I guess that is approval. So, sorry, I, I, yeah, that's, that, that's agreement, Manu. I thought I thought that was for Matt. Um, the only thing, uh, only thing I'd add to this before maybe we should move on is just yeah. that 
you know, as Matt says, I guess that is what he now has to do. He has to bought, form a kind of strong bond with the Stuttgart fans in particular and the club itself because he has bounced around a few clubs now. But this is now his first, you know, with all due respect to Hoffenheim, this is now his first, you know, top six team, shall we call it? Top six club, they're maybe not top six team. You know, Ooh, top we're calling six... it that now. Okay, good. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I mean, just the, the club in terms of its size yeah. and support, I would say is a top six club in Germany. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's the impression I've always had. Um, I'm not saying the team is a top six team. I'm saying he's now at a top. He's, he's now got a top job, shall we say, in Germany. Um, and, he, you know, presumably this will be a long-term thing. Um, and... You know he'll hopefully do he'll hopefully do quite well with them, but he has to kind of Matt's right. He has to form that bond with them because we've seen very good head coaches kind of bounce around the Bundesliga for a long time, and they never really seem to get up to much. And there's maybe an interesting comparison here to Marco Rosa, who had all the talent to succeed at Dortmund, but before he even started, he was under hiding to nothing, as we would say, um, in terms of his relationship with the Dortmund fans and the manner in which he left Gladbach. So. You know, he was never yeah, able so to yeah, follow up. Having, having already burnt those bridges at Gladbach as well, is actually, yeah. He, he, he was actually another coach who I had down as one of those potential sort of post, post-clop examples of, war, of of a coach who combines those two qualities of, you know, being technically top of his game, but also in that connection to, 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 to Germany's biggest football clubs. And yeah, ultimately failed a bit on that level. Yeah, well, exactly, and and, and I mean, he's 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 obviously found his, his his place at Leipzig, and that's a good fit, and you know, that's a discussion for our day as to whether you know Leipzig's fans and him and blah blah blah. But I think that's what Hodes now has to do, isn't it? He? he has to he has to prove that he can form that bond with Stuttgart, make something special off the pitch as well as on it, because obviously the club are crying out for someone to take some sort of leadership there, and yeah. he's done it on the pitch, so hopefully he can do it off it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think he does. I mean, I mean, um, I was there for both the the relegation playoff games. I've done a few a lot of games in Stuttgart because it's proximity to Munich, and um, I I sense that this is a person who really knows what he's doing um, with both feet on the ground. And I think you know um, has now experienced enough to has experienced adversity as well, right? That, that Hoffenheim. I think we're still all baffled on why it all went wrong at Hoffenheim, but um, that's probably a topic for another day. Um, I the, the one thing about Rose, and this is maybe a good transition to Dortmund, we want to talk about that next. We have to stop pretending that Klopp was always nice. <laughs> <laughs> because he wasn't. I mean, like, and I still think that Dortmund and Marco Rose uh, would have been a better combination long term than whatever this is. Um, which brings us to whatever this is, Matt. What is what's going on? <laughs> they, they, they've won, but <sighs> this episode of the Gegen Pressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Football is back, and Bet Online is your number one information source for all sports wagering. Info with all the up-to-minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with BetOnline's real-time updates on statistics, news, and odds. From week one all the way to college football playoff and Super Bowl, BetOnline gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to the website today or use use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that is B-L-E-A-V, BELIEVE, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Yeah, no, I think that's probably that sums it all. A big, a, a, a big, a big, a big Dortmund sigh, basically. Um, really disappointing performance in the in the week um, away, away at PSG. Um, obviously... Obviously, you can bring in mitigating factors as with the sheer quality that PSG have to offer. I mean, particularly if you're playing them away from home. Um, but even so, um, Dortmund literally had, I think we did about two shots on goal. I can recall one effort from Marlon in the first half, and then was it Jay Bino Gittens had an effort in the second half. Um, and then they, yeah, then then they returned into to Bundesliga action against uh, a Wolfsburg team who actually started the season really, really well, and. I mean, the positive, the positive of Brussy Dortmund is, is, is that they won, and that's absolutely fine. I mean, it, that that was necessary. But the 
and the performance was perhaps slightly improved on, on previous weeks, but still, so many of the old issues were there. Um, I thought they were yeah, still not as creative as you would want going forward. Like, once again, Daniel Marlon aside. Um, admittedly, a really, really nice move for the um, yeah for for, uh, for the goal, which I believe if Marco Royce doesn't tap in, Donny Marlon's actually stood right behind him. So having started that move, he was almost on the end of finishing it himself anyway. So he's turning into a little bit of a one-man band at, 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 at Dortmund, um, which is good to see because he also, he also had a slow start last year. Um, Marco Royce, uh, I think we debated it a little bit, didn't we, on Saturday when we were when we were discussing the game. Um, really, really uncertain as to what his role is now for Dortmund going forward. Um, I thought he had a yeah, he, he had a, a semi okay, semi okay game against uh, against Wolfsburg, but absolutely nothing to suggest that he should be starting uh, starting every, every week in in that midfield. Um, I think it's very much uh, very much as you were for Borussia Dortmund, and um, I do you know, despite the positive results, I, I, I don't think any of the other questions that we've raised surrounding Edin Terzic, Sebastian Kale, uh, and the recruitment policy, um, and the the lack of creativity and defensive ideas going forward, I don't think any of that has changed. Yeah, I mean, I made that point um, after the Champions League game, Stefan. That I think one of the biggest mistakes was that they didn't sign a replacement for Marco Reus in the summer. Um, obviously, we they, everyone hoped Jude Bellingham could be eventually that replacement. That that's you know, we discussed that, but it's games like that kind of highlighted, right? That they still have to cut out poor Marco Royce and be the difference maker here week after week. That have been a couple of little little flashes from Felix Metcher in fairness in that yeah. Jude Bellingham role. Again, I'm not I'm not, I'm not not claiming at this point that he's uh, he, he's replacing Jude Bellingham there one for one. Uh, he's absolutely not. But there have, in fairness to him, there have been attempts to, um, in terms of winning the ball in midfield, driving forward, showing some sort of urge to to, to penetrate and in, in, inject pace um, through the centre of midfield. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's worth mentioning. And that's to his credit, but um, still nowhere near on, on, on the level they had they had with, uh, with, with Bellingham, but no, no one is. Mm, yeah, I, I think, I think the thing about, let me, Try and speak properly here. Um, I think in reintroducing Royce into this team was actually quite an interesting move from Terzic because they have obviously been really lacking someone who can play off the striker. Um, you know, we talked about recently the the manner in which Adeyemi and Daniel Malm had struggled to 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 really create any kind of form for Dortmund. Uh, obviously, Malm has kind of came on leaps and bounds since then. I think the jury's still out for Adeyemi, in my opinion. Um, and you know, I think the hope that Julian Brandt could have played that number ten role hasn't really worked out because that's just not the kind of playmaker he is. He can create goals, he can kind of pick the passes, he can pull the strings, but he does that in a far more discreet way. He likes to drift out wide, he likes to kind of drop into pockets, he likes to kind of just roam around the pitch. Whereas someone like Royce is just far more direct. He's very much like. When I get the ball, I'm looking to fool Craig and I want to play a 1-2. A and that's basically all he ever tries to do. It's 1-2s, 1-2s, 1-2s. And that's sometimes exactly what Dortmund need. And I actually found myself watching the game thinking, you know, it wasn't a classic performance by any means, but I thought there was a bit more structure to this Dortmund team because it felt like they're a lot more simplified. It was, you know, try and get the ball to Royce or try and get the ball to fool Craig or, you know, more often than not, actually get the ball to Bino Kittens, who was actually keeping some semblance of width about the team. Um, I actually thought he actually, I thought he did quite well in that regard. And I think it kind of meant that while Dortmund did create a lot of chances, it felt like they were doing it. It's almost like they actually knew what they were doing for a change. <laughs> they just weren't doing it well enough, perhaps. But, you know, the last kind of couple of games, you couldn't even really figure out what they were trying to do. For example, in that PSG game, now I know PSG are very different. Um, opponent to Wolfsburg but there was just no real idea how Dortmund were even trying to attack with the ball um, even if they you know even if all, even if everyone's playing well you just don't know how they'd link up that well whereas with, with Phil Krug playing as a target man with Royce playing off him you know Bino Gittins playing as an out and out winger you kind of got the idea like right these guys at least know where to stand their opponent their, their teammates know where to play the ball to them and it felt more structured to me another thing that really fascinated me was that Obviously, Oz Chan steps in for Emery Chan here, 
And as far as I could tell, there was no notable difference or drop-off in performance from Dortmund's midfield. And I find this so fascinating because it's something that I think, it's something I tweeted about during the summer, and I think it's something that most Dortmund fans saw coming a mile away, where there was all this kind of hubbub over signing our defensive midfielder or signing a midfield enforcer, and they were obviously going to pick up um, Alvarez from West, from uh, Ajax. Which, that by the way, got vetoed by Tessic. Yeah, and then and, and then all of a sudden, Emery Chan gets a new contract and the captaincy. And then everyone Which knew was what was happening here. also underlined by Tezic. Yeah. Just, so, yeah. Sorry, I'm interjecting here, but these are, I just want to bring no, in these facts right. because you're, they're important. You're, yeah, they added the context. and But you knew fine well that this was Terzic saying, right, instead of signing, instead of trying to put together a comprehensive plan to, to replace Jim <laughs> Bellingham, I'm just going to double down on Emery Chan. And, you know, I think Chan had a good role last year. I think he kind of fitted into a system that works him well, where he kind of slots in as almost like a kind of third central defender. But, it just hasn't worked this year because he's been asked to kind of play as a cent. Sorry, he sorted it as a third central defender, but this season he's always been asked to play as a central midfielder again. And I've not really been impressed with him at all. I thought he was completely anonymous against PSG. And then all of a sudden, Terzic starts Nemchan and Ozchan in the middle of the park. And, you know, there's maybe a number of reasons why the two of them did okay there. Rosberg just seemed to give up at halftime. I'm not quite sure what happened there. Um, but. They both looked quite comfortable in the middle of the park. And I think that's quite encouraging for Dortmund because, you know, I think they do. I think that midfield, I think the middle of the park is where the, the, the issues probably start in this team. Um, yeah. And I don't think, I don't think Emre Chan's a solution. I think Emre Chan is someone who needs someone like Bellingham next to him to really shine. Um, and that's obviously not happening because Jude Bellingham is at Real Madrid shooting out the lights. Um, but Matt, I have a question for you because we've talked a lot about, um, Eden Terzic, right. And his role, um, and how, how he's almost like a cheerleader and he's so beloved by the officials at the club. And, um, you spend a lot of time with, with the fans, um, at Dortmund. How do they see him? In a word, they are they all they all love him as a as a as a coach, or at least at least as a as a figurehead, as a as a person. They they consider him a hero. He's he's seen as one of them, um, and I don't think that'll ever change. Um, again, rather from personal experience, um, I yeah, I've 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 also always enjoyed working with him, uh, asking questions, discussing things with him. Um, I think he he comes across extremely well. Um, however. Yeah, um, this season I have heard I have heard murmurings among the fan base that there's a growing acceptance that he's he's potentially not the not 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 the coach which is going to uh, yeah offer Dortmund the the sort of quality they're after when it comes to actually winning the Bundesliga title. Um, obviously it's all in hindsight now, it's all hypothetical now. But maybe things would have been different had they actually managed to win the Bundesliga last season on the final day, and then and then take that step up but the fact is they didn't um, and when you do that that, that opens up the door for, for doubts to grow so yeah I think as a as a person as a figurehead um, I don't think you'll ever lose that status within the fan base uh, but I do get the impression that um, when it comes yeah purely purely technically as, as a coach there are there are absolutely doubts um, having said that um, I was, was going to reiterate one thing that, that Stefan touched on there and that was uh, his the way he's uh, the way he's managed Jamie Bynum Gittins over the past couple of years, um, there's clearly um, an awful a great deal of trust between the two of them. I think as it's his management of Bynum Gittins to first of all, as in being a younger, yeah, a, a young foreign kid uh, at such a big club, and that's been really I think that's been managed really well. And also the the two shoulder injuries that he's had to deal with, Terzic has managed the situation really well. He's always spoke positively of him. They clearly have a good uh, a good relationship. Um, Terzic brought him on as a substitute on several occasions last season and was rewarded for that. But finally, get with a couple of key with a couple of key goals off the bench. Um, and yeah, I was I was really happy to see to see him starting. Um, uh, again against Wolfsburg. Um, and I mean, it, it sounds daft to say that maybe he's a bit more fortunate to be taken off, given that his replacement Tony Lamar um really did make a difference in terms of setting up and creating the winning goal. 
Uh, but by no means in the first half was, yeah, as Stefan was saying, offering permanent width, uh, constantly running at plays. Every time he gets the ball, he, he runs at defenders, cutting inside, getting shots away. Um, and, um, yeah, I spoke to Terzic Palace on a couple of occasions last season. He, he, he's always championed those qualities that Jamie Vinyl Gittens has. So I was happy to see him starting. Uh, he's only just turned 19. He's still a kid. Got a long way ahead of him. But that was definitely a positive aspect for Dortmund at the weekend. Yeah, can I just... Can I just... Can I just jump in one more thing, Manu? Which just kind of, just is kind of running through them, kind of piecing together with Terzic is that I do kind of wonder if he's actually more comfortable playing defensive football um, and setting his team up to play defensively. Because you know we talk a lot about how Terzic is this kind of you know this Dortmund born and bred, and how he was at the youth team when Klopp was at the club, and how he bleeds black and yellow and things like that, but. I think actually one of the more formative kind of moments of his career was actually when he was a kind of understudy to Slavin Bilic, who is a far more pragmatic manager. Um, he can be playing defensive football, but he's also kind of one of these kind of managers who relies a lot on how he motivates players rather than the tactics itself. You know, he's very, at least for my pet, my my personal um, reflection on Bilic's coaching career. He seems to focus a lot more on, you know, motivating players, rotating the squad when he has to, and he can. And at times, he can set his teams up very defensively and reactionary to the opponents he's facing. And I always find it really interesting whenever Dortmund play in the Champions League under Terzic, he's always been so quick to build these kind of very defensive structures and and, and almost counter-attacking structures and. You know, I mean, I know things that work out at PSG in the midweek, but in that first half, the way that Dortmund play that very defensive football, I did kind of watch that game thinking, is this actually what Terzic's ideal style of football is? You know, because I, 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 I don't mean in a disparaging way. You know, I, I actually think there's a lot to be said for defensive football. It's something that Manu and I bicker about constantly because I think there's not enough defensive coaches in German football. But, you know... Obviously, he can't really do that as Dortmund head coach because you're expected to win games and you're expected to take the game to opponents week in week out as the you know second or third richest club in the cl- in the country. But I don't know. There's something that makes me wonder if maybe you know it's not so much that Terzic doesn't know what he's doing or he doesn't have the tactical acumen to do these things. It's just that he's far more comfortable playing defensive football, and that might explain why this team really struggled to, um, you know, they they really struggle to be creative they really struggle to to break teams down they struggle to 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 dominate teams and hold possession um and you know i'm just trying to think back to what the kind of cornerstones that Dortmund team were last season i think you know the end of january like or january onwards there was a lot of focus on the fact that sebastian haller was in and that kind of unlocked adeyemi and daniel malin and things but i think another key thing was that they looked far more defensively solid for a change and that's kind of maybe what was behind that success and Maybe that's what Terzic actually is far more comfortable dealing with, and that's maybe why they're not so good in attack this season. Mm-hmm. But Stefan, you can play defensive football at Dortmund and be loved. Um, Otmar Hitzfeld comes to mind. You know, he was obviously um, towards the end of his Bayern career ostracized by Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, who called him a mathematician, right, because he was playing too pragmatic a style of football that wasn't fashionable enough for Bayern Munich at the time. Um, but his original success with Dortmund was playing pragmatic football and won them a Champions League, right? And um, the year that Klopp, the first year that Klopp won the title with Borussia Dortmund, everyone talked about how exciting that team was, but it broke a record for the least amount of goals scored against hmm. the Bundesliga. Hummels and Supertich. Yeah. So... Well, then why don't we throw this to Matt? Matt, do you, Matt what do you think? Yeah. Do you think Terzic has to start playing uh, Route 1 defensive Sam Ardice football? And do you think the yellow wall would accept that? I don't even think it's a case of whether the yellow wall would accept that. It's too, I think it's too simple. I think they'll ultimately, like any fans, will accept anything that, that wins some games. And um, yeah. I think, think it's a valid point that maybe maybe Terzic does feel more comfortable playing, uh, playing defensive football, but ultimately that's not going to win. It's not going to win the league, whether we comfortable with that or not and like you said Dortmund are in that position where um, they they do have the ball against the majority of Bundesliga opposition um, what they like on the, and, and yeah you, okay can I counter that real quick though Matt because yeah. they, they lost the league because they got scored on three times for Stuttgart last year 
yeah, which suggests that the um, the, def- the defensive acumen that Stephens has been praising perhaps uh, perhaps perhaps wasn't quite there. Yeah, what I mean by that is I do think that uh, you know Stefan and I we have this argument all about the better defensive football, but I do think I fundamentally agree with you that defense has to be the foundation of everything. Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course, yeah. There's no you, you, you simply can't win titles by just outscoring other opponents. I think even Bayern are well of that, well aware of that, and you know it's it's an issue that highlights itself particularly well in the Champions League for German teams, where maybe they can kind of get by week to week, but when they play in the Champions League, it it, it does begin to fall apart. So, I think this all just kind of goes to say that Dortmund are obviously they're not out of the woods yet. I, I I'd actually kind of walked away from that game against Wolfsburg kind of just with a shrug of the shoulders and I thought fair enough that's a decent three points for Dortmund you know I expected them to drop points in this game I expected Wolfsburg to actually be far more um, you know cutting edge and actually offer a lot more uh, attack and then maybe that's also maybe something the Dortmunds were actually more than happy to kind of counter where they played a team that were actually maybe able to kind of throw a bit more at them um, but I don't know it's it's an interesting one I think I think this all just goes to say that despite how many I mean, I don't know how many games Terzic uh, has now coached for Dortmund, but it's now been, what, we're now, what, in our third full season with them, perhaps? Um, maybe not full seasons, but we're not far off that. And if anyone was to ask any three of us what is Eden Terzic football, um, I'm not sure any of us could give a comprehensive answer. Uh, no, I can't. Can you, Matt? No, I can't. I can't really. That's why. That's why I said at the start of this segment, it's very much, it's very much as you were for Dortmund. Um, I think it's actually it's a good, it's a good result, but um, I think all the old questions are um, are still there, and um, I think I suspect that by Christmas and then the end of the Champions League group stage at latest, um, we'll we'll know whether the progress made in the terms which has been acceptable and has been good enough or not because a decision will have been made by then yeah well good thing uh, good thing Vasco now has Julian Nagelsmann's mobile number I mean we're getting, we're getting it's, a, it's a different topic isn't it but it, it genuinely it genuinely did surprise me a little bit and that is absolutely without wanting to get into any sort of conspiracies and just for anyone anyone listening who's maybe not quite aware of the person the, the personnel um crossovers there or Hans-Joachim Vasco is not only the CEO of Borussia Dortmund he's also the I believe vice chair of the DFB's supervisory board have I got mm-hmm. that right? You got I think that right uh, well, he's and he's the vice people. president He's one of the yes. few people still on the board, which I think is probably most important. No, so that, yeah. board has, that board has been dissolved There's lots of boards yeah. uh, you, We all work for German companies You know how it works Definitely <laughs> <laughs> well, but, he, but, yeah, but the, the, the point being that either way, he, as, as much as he was all, I mean, um, Nagelsmann was obviously also identified um, by Woody Fuller at, at, the, at the DFB as being a, a number one candidate. However, that's good. That's good. Did absolutely sign it off. He, 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 he might not have been directly involved with the whole thing, but certainly said yes. That did surprise me a bit because there's, there's no suggestion that there are any concrete. Uh, considerations around around Dortmund to to get rid of Eddie Terzic at this stage, uh, it's probably more media speculation than anything. But uh, the name Julian Nagelsmann had absolutely been been whispered um, around uh, around Dortmund. Um, that spectre is out of the way at least for the time being, as far as Terzic is concerned. Uh, but only for only for eight, only for what seven eight months, um, and I, I I suspect that. International football. While I mean, it's a different topic. While I think it's actually a really, really, really good move from the DFB and from Germany, I think Nagelsmann is a breath of fresh air and a generational change that they absolutely need. But that's a different topic. Um, uh, I, I don't think he'll be there beyond the beyond the Yarbrough. What, 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 whatever happens, um, it would certainly surprise me. I think Julian Nagelsmann is a. I think he's a club coach, um, and I think he, he, and he's one of the best club coaches out there. Um, and I would, yeah, personally, I would personally like to see him back in club football, uh, doing doing a proper job as, um, as soon as possible. And um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that works out. Um, yeah, regarding Borussia Dortmund by that point. Yeah, I think it's fascinating just because 
you know, you mentioned, you know, obviously Nagelsmann's only sticking with Germany until the Euros, and it's the the thing is that like um, Vatska, obviously, um, informally will know fine well whether Nagelsmann has any interest in becoming a Dortmund head coach in the future. You know, like even like. I, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to word this carefully here because I'm I'm not suggesting that Vatska is tapping up Nagelsmann by any means, but what I'm saying is that if things aren't going well at Dortmund through the season and the question marks remain over Terzic, I find it impossible to believe that Vatska isn't maybe just just kind of st- standing by the water cooler uh, TFB uh, waiting for Nagelsmann to walk by and just to kind of you know pick his thoughts over things, and I'm sure Nagelsmann would probably make it clear whether that's something he would be interested in or something he absolutely would not be interested in. And we then find ourselves in an almost ironic situation where, you know, Dortmund could have a head coach in waiting to replace Terzic the same way that Terzic was the head coach in waiting to replace Rosa. But there's no conflict of interest here, of course, right? Watzke being in (laughs) both those positions. Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. And there was no conflict of interest in Terzic being the, the no. whoever the hell he was yeah. at the club, but it's it's a weird way. To, I, I mean, look, we're, we're, we are kind of entirely speculating here, which is probably a good sign to wrap this up. Yeah. We're moving into the, we might as well get a, a you know, a cue ball out or whatever they're called and shake to get an answer out of an A-ball yeah, but, cube. But, but lots of people have asked these questions, so I think we're just reiterating what's out there already. Yeah, well, you know, if Dortmund keep winning boring one nils, then I'm sure Terzic will still be in the job. Well, yeah, because then they win the title. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's or, pretty or, safe. Or, to... or they lose it on goal difference to Stuttgart <laughs> or, or Bayern because the uh, the opponents roll over. We didn't even have time to talk yeah. about that. It's been a very heavy Stuttgart and Dortmund podcast, which actually, you know what? Fair enough because we have talked about Bayern and Leverkusen and Leipzig. Um, to a lot this season already and there's bonus shows and previews and all that kind of stuff so um, listen there's more content coming about those teams as well so don't really worry uh, we have them on the radar um, Matt it's been great having you on where can people find you? Um, yeah been great being here uh, as always I'm on Twitter or XYZ whatever it's called these days at Matt underscore 40 Uh piece on there if people are interested I've done a piece over the weekend about um, Justin and Jinma uh, at, um, at, at their deployment um, also on loan at Borussia Dortmund uh, uh, well their reserve team a piece uh, for, the, for the past couple of seasons um, and he's already scored already scored two goals this season for, for Bremen um, exciting young player he scored goals at every level of his career so far um, Division 4 Division 3 uh, and now, in no time at all, seemingly having no problem taking taking to to Bundesliga football, um, albeit just off the bench so far. But uh, yeah, in his performances so far, he's uh, he, he's caused well, he, he certainly caused Cologne huge problems with his with his pace off the bench. He, he, he scored with his with his second touch, his, his first being a touch to take him into the box and and leave our Jeff Shabo, the Cologne centre back, leave him absolutely for dead. Uh, so yeah, exciting, exciting player, uh, and hopefully lots more to come from him at um, at uh, at Bremen. Fantastic stuff! Yeah, go check that out. Um, as always, the show is brought to you by Bet Online. Stefan, any final thoughts before we wrap this up completely? No, uh, always great to have Matt on. Always great to have another, yeah. um, you know, point of view. And yeah, we didn't talk about Bayern, but you know what? We always talk about Bayern, so I'm sure yeah. I'm sure listeners won't mind. There will be a bonus show and there's German Cup games and all that sort of stuff. So don't worry. Um, there's more coming. Um, also, little note, my newsletter coming out first this week, Stefan's second, um, just a reverse, um, simply because I was able to speak to Benjamin Sesco today. It's a round table. Um, and there is some cool stuff in that conversation that you know you will find on the homepage um, for subscribers only. All right, we'll be back soon. Until then. Auf Wiedersehen.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcast. Yes.